0: Hey, uh, I want to tell you a, a quick story that happened while I was uh, out of town. In fact, let me show you that picture. That is... Uh, how many of you like Swedish fish? Can I ask you that? Yeah, this is a, this is a group that loves God. That's why. Well, um, listen, I grew up... I love Swedish fish. My wife hates Swedish fish because it has, contains something called red dye number 40 that's supposed to kill you. Uh, but, you know, I don't really care about that. So... Um, but so I'm pretty good with them, and because I, and I've taught my daughter Mia, who's three, to love Swedish fish, and I do that because I'm a good dad. But anyway, so um, well, here's what happened: is that we went to Disney. Um, I wasn't here; I was on vacation, so we went to Disney for a few days. And uh, one of the things that we did was that uh, I, I was at Downtown Disney, and I bought a pound of Swedish fish. And so my daughter and I, over the course of the last week, have been depleting the fish population of that bag. And uh, but here's what happens is that my daughter like loves these fish so much that she is ready to give up all meals and just commit herself to eating Swedish fish alone, which I'm not really like comfortable with that. And so what we've been doing is, is that if she eats uh, so our, the rule in our house is, is that if she eats all of her lunch, she gets three fish. If she eats all of her dinner, she gets three fish. So that's it even though the three fish turns out into somehow be six fish, but it's a couple of fish amongst friends. Um, but anyway, but here's the thing is that she asks me for them because if she asks her mom for them, she's going to end up with an apple or a banana or something healthy. So she comes to me exclusively saying, hey, you know, Bobby, can I have, can I have fish? And so um, what I'll do is sometimes I'll go and get them for her or sometimes what I'll do is I'll just say, okay, tell mommy that I said it's okay. So my daughter, and she came up with this all by herself, uh, she said, um, mommy... Can I have some fish? And uh, she said, You're, you said, no. And she's, wait, she goes, Bobby's orders. And that was, that's her thing. It's like, you know, whatever it is, it's Bobby's orders. So now every time that she's going to have fish, she says, um, You know, mommy, can I have fish? Bobby's orders. And so that's like kind of her, which I, by the way, I can really get used to. Um, And so so that's the thing. So what happens is is that um, Friday and Saturday, because I, I was home, she was asking me each time, like lunch, dinner. Well, last night, it was, we ate dinner a little bit later than normal. And so it was kind of close to her bedtime. And I didn't want her to have all this sugar before she goes to sleep. Because sugar before you go to sleep means you don't sleep. So uh, so she, she comes up. She doesn't even ask me, but she goes to her mom. And she says, Mommy, can I have fish? And Carrie says, No, no, sweetie. Uh, it's too late. It's too close to dinner. And she says, Bobby's orders. And so she goes, Carrie comes up to me, my wife, and she says, Did you tell Mia that she could have Swedish fish? And I said, No. And so I call Mia over and I said, When did Poppy say that you could have fish? And she says, Oh, yesterday. So she thinks I'm like, Listen, Poppy's order is not like a presidential executive order which like overrides everything. I'm like, this is kind of like we're taking this on a case by case basis. And so and then I kind of got like a little deeper and I'm like, Mia, if I were God, and it's probably not a bad idea for you to think that, um, You would have taken my name in vain. Do you know what that means? That's one of God's commandments, not to take God's name in vain. What do you think of that? And so she just, you know, looks and she's like, hey, Poppy, let's have some fish. And uh, it's just like, uh, the study was wasted. So anyway, uh, I I don't even know why I bothered. But here's the thing. Uh, That's what we're going to talk about today is this commandment that's like totally misunderstood. What does it mean? Why is it important? Is this idea of taking God's name in vain. In fact, the first verse on your outline, I hope you have your outline handy and the pen, because you're going to be writing a bunch of stuff down. But here's, here's what it says. It says this. It says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So I don't know about you, but it's like some of the questions that I ask are like, what does this commandment mean? And what does it mean to actually take God's name in vain? And then, secondly, why is it so bad that it's actually worthy of like the top ten of, of like the most important commands that that there are? So let's uh, you know let's answer the questions. Number one, what does it mean to take God's name in vain? The term "vain" in Hebrew means uh, to empty. Uh, in fact, the uh, the uh, the word actually literally means like a sigh. So it's like. Something that's just like empty, hollow, a breath. You know, I mean, it's, 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 it's nothing. And so, so when we actually take God's name in vain, we, we, what, we're trying, what we're doing is we're like stripping all of the weight and the power of God's name. And we're making it ordinary. Now, here's the thing. In a Jewish culture, people were not allowed to say God's name. In a Jewish culture, what would happen is, is that um, the, sometimes they would be talking and they would just bow their head and say the name. Sometimes they would be uh, if they were writing, sometimes you'll see this is that they'll just write the the letter G, a a, a hyphen and then a D for God or for Lord. They'll write L, a hyphen and R and a D just because what they don't want to do is somehow write God's name in in, in a very plain way, in a a, a vain way and somehow take God's name in vain when they didn't even realize that they were doing it. So they're they're very, very serious about God's name. So the commandment is to make sure that we give God's name the weight and the honor that it's due. Why? Because a name means something. Your name means something. My name means something. In fact, and you know, it's a, you'll see that it says um, there's these three things that your name represents. Your name represents, number one, your reputation. The, that's the first thing. Your name represents your reputation. Um, you know, so when someone comes up to me and says, hey, Bob, I'm reading one of your books, right? I've got four books and the, I all have my name on them. Now, see, if you tell me I'm reading some other book, I don't care what you think about the other book. I only care about what you think about my books. Why? Because those are the ones that have my name on them. If you say, I didn't like John Grisham's last book, good for him. You know, I'm not worried about that. Why? Because there's reputation attached to what I have my name on. Same thing is true with you. The second thing is, is that your name represents your character. It represents your character. One of the things that happens in the scriptures is that when God does a work in someone's life, Sometimes God will actually change that person's name. There's a guy by the name of Abram in the book of Genesis chapter 12 that God calls. And here's what he does. Um, The the name Abram means exalted father. But here's what God does is that he changes his name from exalted father, Abram, to Abraham, which means father of many nations based on the covenant that God makes with him. Abraham has a grandson by the name of Jacob. The name Jacob means deceiver. But after wrestling with God most of his life, there's this moment where he's literally wrestling with God. And then God says to him, he says, what's your name? He says, my name is Deceiver. And he says, your name will no longer be Deceiver. Your name will be Israel, which means governed, led by God. Uh, Jesus has a disciple named Simon. The name Simon means shifting sands. I mean, it's, it's somebody who doesn't really have a firm footing, right? It's it's. It's always changing, but he says to Simon, he says, your name is Simon, but it will be Peter, a name that means rock. You see, it's, it's amazing, right, that, that there's some names that reveal very, very high character. There's some names that reveal very, very low character. If someone came up to you and said, I'd like to offer you a job, you'd say, oh, great, what company do you work for? I work for a company called Enron. You'd say, no, thank you. Why? Because the name means something. Um, if somebody came up to you and said, I'd like you to invest money in my, uh, my portfolio. Oh, what's your name? Bernie Madoff. You'd probably say, no, thank you. And if we can just, as an aside, talk about this for a second. Did anybody, I mean, the guy's last name is Made Off. <laughs> he made off with everybody's money. I mean, the only thing worse would be, hello, my name is Rip Off. Uh, hey, how you doing? I'd like to do business with you. No, you'd run. I'm telling you, if it was on TV, we would say it's like, uh, not realistic. But it's, I'm t- it's anyway. Um, so here, so it's reputation, character, number three is this. Your name represents your authority. It represents authority that your name, in certain circles, has a level of influence and a level of authority. Everyone's name has that. Uh, Before coming and starting Calvary Fellowship in the fall of 2000, I spent four years running a college. And one of the things that happened when we in our first year here at the church is that someone had said a friend of mine called me who wanted to start start school at, at the college I used to run, but the admission deadline had passed. He had everything filled out, transcripts, all that, but the admission deadline had passed, so he called me. And he said, hey, listen, could you do something for me? I know I passed the deadline. I can't believe I missed it, but could you do something for me? So I called the admissions office, and I said, hey, listen, we're... um, you know, I have a friend, and he wants to go to school. He passed it. the deadline; is passed, but can you just make an exception for him? I'd consider it a favor. And so they said, "Yeah, no problem. Have him come down, and we'll we'll take care of it." So I called the guy, and I said, "Hey, listen, go down there first thing tomorrow morning, and uh, tell him that you know that I sent you, and you won't have any problems, right?" And so he comes in my name, and everything works out for him. Now, listen, that worked there; it doesn't work everywhere, right? Because it's certain certain circles. You can't go out and pump gas at the gas station and be like. I don't have to pay for this. Why? Bob sent me. I said, They're going to carry you away if you ask to say that. Um, why? It, just, it, it doesn't work. So, but when you think about God's name, God's name has reputation, character, authority, power, majesty. So when God says, don't use my name in vain, listen, he's calling us to use his name that is in, in a way that is not empty or useless. But instead, it's full of the weight, scope, and power of who he is. In fact... Jesus gave us an example of what it means to use God's name in vain. And he gave us an example in the gospel according to Matthew. And so if you would turn with me to the gospel of Matthew chapter seven, and we're going to look at a section in a sermon that Jesus gives that's called the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm going to tell you right now that these are some of the scariest words that Jesus ever spoke. Um, So I say that just as like a You know, precursor to all this that that, I mean, they are they're serious words and they're words that we need to take uh, and give careful consideration to. But look at what he says uh, in verse twenty one of Matthew seven. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my father in heaven. For many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention in your notes, we're going to, there's so much we could talk about. But I want to focus on two things in particular about taking God's name in vain and what it means. Taking God's name in vain, number one, if you're taking notes, is choosing talk over obedience. It's choosing talk over obedience. Now, most of us know what an oxymoron is, right? Uh, like jumbo shrimp, right? These two words together that aren't supposed to really make sense. So jumbo shrimp, pretty ugly, uh, you know, airplane food, government intelligence, Microsoft Works, right? you got to get the idea. Um, so you, you, have, you have all of that, but, but here's the thing. Um, is that the greatest oxymoron of all is to actually say, no, Lord, because here's the thing. If I say no, Lord, then the person that I'm talking to isn't really my Lord, my master, and I'm the servant. Instead, I'm saying if I say no to the person that I'm claiming to be the Lord, then somebody else is, is, is Lord in my life. And see, the thing is, is that the people that Jesus mentions here know God enough to know his name. You see, sometimes we read that passage in Matthew and think like, who is he referring to? We know this, that he's referring to people who know God's covenant name. These are people that, that they know enough about God to talk a pretty good game, but they choose instead to live however they want. And the thing about these people is that they have good theology. You see, they say, Lord, Lord. They don't just say master or teacher. They say, Lord, Lord. Now, let me give you a little bit of background so that kind of makes sense. Um, in the Old Testament, God uh, was referred to in a simple Hebrew word that, uh, that, that meant God in Hebrew, but the word was Elohim, or, or El, or Elohim, but it's a simple Hebrew word uh, that means God. But then when God chose, uh, when he, God called Moses to go to Egypt to rescue the people of Israel, he, uh, the, the thing that Moses asked was, what is your name? And then God reveals to him his covenant Name The covenant name between him and Israel. In fact, it's in your notes. Check it out. In Exodus chapter 3, it says, Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. You see, God's name... Um, and, and by the way, the, 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 in, in the Hebrew, and once again, we see I am that I am... The Hebrew for that is four, four consonants, Y-H-W-H, or as we would say, Yahweh. But that the, word, the name Yahweh simply means the becoming one. And why does God's name mean the becoming one? Because He is able to become whatever it is that we need in our lives. And the thing that happens is, is that Jesus is saying that not, that, you know, not everyone uh, who, who knows God's name, who says God's name, is going to inherit eternal life. But in the second half of that verse, He says... Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. See, it's not just someone who knows how to talk a good game, but those who are actually seeking to do the will of the Father. You see, because a lot of people, a lot of people say that they're Christians. A lot of people talk about uh, their parents' faith, how they went to church as a kid, how they pray when times are tough. But, But the thing is this, that doesn't mean you actually know God. What means that you know God is that the indicator is that you're seeking to do the will of the Father. Jesus would say it this way in Luke chapter 6 verse 46. You'll see it on the screen. It would say, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? You see, as we mentioned, it's an oxymoron to call someone Lord and then not do the things that they command. Because if we don't do it, then our actions are proving that this person, that God isn't really our Lord. You see, the way that we do that, and let me just, I mean, this is kind of the, the part where I begin to push a little bit. Uh, but, but but listen, here, here's how we do that. And we play like the the, the spiritual oxymoron game with God that we say, God, I, I believe in you. I believe your promises. And yet we worry all the time. Now, what's that all about? You see, we either trust the promises and believe God or we believe that it's on us. And that's why we worry. But it, But it can't be you know, one, it's, it's really just its one or the other. You see, we say that Jesus is the only hope, but yet, I mean, are we, are we communicating that in, in, in ways to other people? We talk about how Jesus has forgiven us and that it's important for us to forgive, but if we don't actually do it and don't actually forgive, then listen, we're, we're not seeking to do the will of the Father. We're just saying the words. And here's the reality. The reality is, is that it's not the best possible way to live. You see, the the thing about the third commandment, I mean, at the core, the third commandment is about not living hypocritically. Because no one believes, and you know this to be true as much as I do, no one actually thinks that hypocrisy is a virtue for great living. Instead, we believe just the opposite is true. But let me tell you what happens um, in, in Christian circles. In Christian circles, listen, we've started to believe that talking about God's will is more important than doing God's will. You see, talking about God's will has replaced doing God's will. And listen, and, 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 and sometimes we do this, sometimes we talk to people who do this, that we, we talk to people and here's what here's will happen. As we'll say, oh man, I, I, I want to know God's will. I want to know God's will for me and if God would tell me what he wants me to do, then I'll do it. And what we're referring to is like this mysterious unknown thing that we don't know about but here's what we've done when we do that we neglect the stuff that god has already told us about the stuff that god already wants us to be involved in and and it's in your notes but in the book of first thessalonians chapter four a simple verse says for this is the will of god your sanctification sanctification is a big bible word that just means this it refers to the process of us becoming more like jesus now, here's the question that maybe we, we could think about for a moment. What is, how does that actually happen? How do we actually become more like Jesus in our lives? How do we know Jesus better and become more like him at the end of the day than we did at the beginning of the day? And, 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 and the, quite simply, it's doing the stuff that Jesus did responding the way that jesus did it's acting the way that jesus did it's talking the way that jesus did it's engaging in activities and involvement and things that actually bring us and draw us closer to god so that we know him better and so if you were to and listen this is the thing that's so interesting to me is that when i first became a christian i mean i didn't i didn't know anything um i I mean literally i mean i i knew nothing uh, I mean, I was flipping through the Bible, and I saw the book of Job. I thought it was the book of Job. I thought it was the classified ads of the Bible. Like, I guess when Bible characters are out of work, this is where they go. Um, I mean, I knew nothing about the Bible, okay? And so, and, and, and I'm telling you that when someone, at, I knew that when my, my, my brother, um, you know, prayed with me and led me to, to faith in Jesus um, in, in his kitchen uh, in May of 1993, and, here, and here's what happened. Is that I? And this is in Boston, and I flew home to Florida, uh, where I was living. And um, and here's the thing: it said I basically knew what I had to do, if I wanted to grow. It wasn't that much of a mystery to me. I was pretty sure that I needed to read the Bible, that I needed to pray, that I needed to find a good church that I needed to get some Christian friends who could encourage me and I could encourage them, that I should probably be generous with my time and with my resources, that I should, you know, if I'm going to love God, I should probably love people too, and uh, that I should, if God has given me some kind of gift or talent, that just kind of felt like, man, I, I should do this for God and, and serve other people. And this is the thing. I hadn't really read the Bible yet. But it's just like, it was just kind of a basic thing. And, and, and here's the thing is that sometimes we get so worried about the unknown that we neglect what God has already shown us. I love this quote by Mark Twain, who said, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts I do understand that bother me. And uh, and, 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 and I think that the, the parallel for us is so important is that sometimes we're so preoccupied. Well, I don't really know what that means. And what about that part? And listen, what about the part that you do know? Are we willing to do the part that we do know and then worry about the rest later? Because if we want to honor God's name, listen, don't just say God's name. Obey God's word. Because the sign, I believe, of spiritual maturity is obedience to God's word. There's this thing that happens in church circles where we've we've started to believe that maturity, spiritual maturity is being able to recite and memorize a bunch of facts. Um, about the Bible, about faith, about you know whatever subject. But here's what I believe: maybe a more simple definition of spiritual maturity, and that is just doing what you know. And that is God shares the truth the truth with you, and you do it. And the amazing thing that happens is this: is that when God shares a truth with us and we do it, you know what happens? God begins to give us more light. So it's like, oh, what about all that stuff out there that I don't know? It's kind of fuzzy. It's okay. Do the stuff that you know. Walk in obedience to this, and God will continue to give us more light in the decisions that we don't know. There's this passage in the book of Romans. It's not in your notes, but if you just write Romans 1, uh, verses like 18 to 32. It's kind of a longer section. Maybe read it later. But here's the thing that the Apostle Paul talks about. It's it's kind of an interesting topic, but he talks about this. It's about the whole section of this, because just before that, Paul says that I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But then, even though the gospel is the power of God, God Paul talks about there, there are those who actually reject the truth, the gospel that, that, that God has shared with, with us. And here's the thing that's interesting, as he talks about all the ways that mankind has rejected the, the gospel and the truths of God, and yet here's the fascinating phrase that he uses around verse 25 or 26. He says this, it says that their foolish hearts were darkened. Now isn't that interesting? That there's this thing where when we walk in obedience, God gives us more light, but when we continually walk in disobedience, our hearts actually get darker and the light gets dimmer. That's why when we find people, and maybe this has been us, and all I think all of us have been here at some point in our lives, where we just keep making the same mistake over and over and over and over again. It's like we're Bill Murray and we're living Groundhog Day. You know? and, 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 you know, so it's like we're doing this whole thing over and over, and it's like we, we just can't seem to get it right. Here's sometimes what happens. What happens is, is that God has already told us. But we're trying to find some other way and it doesn't work. So it just we just keep repeating the same test over and over and over again. And what we're waiting for is like, well, I want God to give me some new information so then I will change. And it's not the way that it works. God's revealed it to us and now we've got to make the biggest decision and that is, am I going to obey that which I know? Because either we're getting more light through obedience or the light is getting darker and our hearts are getting darkened through continual disobedience that's why choosing talk over obedience is taking god's name in vain because we're talking a good game but we're not following through with our actions here's the second one if you're taking notes and that is taking god's name in vain is having emotion over substance it's having emotion over substance um I, i mentioned to you that we were in disney uh this past week and uh or the week before and um When we walked into the park, someone who was there uh, gave my daughter a couple of stickers and they gave my son uh, a a Mickey Mouse sticker. Now, my son's nine months old. He loves Mickey Mouse. Uh, He he, he loves Mickey Mouse. He has like a little Mickey Mouse plush doll. And uh, every time he gets them, he gets so happy and then he tries to bite his nose off. Because when you're nine and you're teething, that's how you express love. Um, And so, anyway, so he has this little sticker. And my son would not let go of the sticker. I mean, under no circumstances would he let it go. In fact, my son took a nap or two in the park, and he was still holding the sticker. He ate holding the sticker, changed his diaper, holding the sticker. No matter what, he was holding the sticker, would not let it go. So finally, we're putting him in the, in the car seat when we're leaving that afternoon, and uh, my wife says, she says, Bob, I figured out why he wouldn't let go of the sticker. And I said, why? She says, it's stuck to his hand. And I thought, yeah, that makes sense. And I'm telling you, it was like this amazing reminder to me. Like, you know, he was probably trying to get it off, but he couldn't. You know, no matter what he did. And we thought like, wow, it's like Mickey's flying. No, he's trying to get this thing off of him. And he couldn't get it off. And the thing that's amazing, listen, sometimes not everything is as it seems. And listen, here's the thing, how it works for us as Christians. Sometimes um, what we'll do as Christians and those of us who know Jesus We'll just try to, like, drop God's name or, like, say things that sound, like, quasi-spiritual to make ourselves seem like we're more spiritually mature than we really are. The problem is it ends up just sounding weird. Um, And and what I mean by that is when I was in college uh, getting my theology degree, um, there used to be this Tuesday night group that met before class. There there was always, like, was one uh, big class that met on on Tuesday night, and they had... um, they, so I used to lead this uh, worship and prayer group. Um, the, the class started at 7, so it was like from 6.15 or so to about 7. Um, so we led this, um, I led this worship and prayer group. i just play guitar and, and sing, and then other people would come in and pray. Well, there was this guy that came in, and he was like, listen, I want to close in prayer. And I'm like, all right, cool. And so, um, you know, the more the merrier. And so he came in, and he wanted to close in prayer. And then I'm like, you know, so I finished the last song, and I'm like, okay, hey, you know, go ahead and pray. And the guy prays, and he's like, uh, dear Jesus, I want to thank you, Jesus, for this day, Jesus. And now he asks, Jesus, that you, Jesus, would work in our lives, Jesus, and pour out your spirit, Jesus, on us, Jesus, that so we go to class, Jesus, and hear your word, Jesus. And I, honestly, I opened my eyes, and I'm like, is someone playing a prank on me? Um, and, and it was like this really odd moment where I'm like, does this guy think that God has forgotten his name? Like or does he have to continue to get his attention, dear Jesus? Help you, Jesus. I'm over here, over here. I know there's busy stuff over there, but I'm right here, Uh, Jesus. So I'm thinking like, hey, uh, I'm over here. No, and and I'm thinking like, like what? And why do we do that? What? Why? Why do we do that as Christians? Listen, um, Jesus said these words. This is not in your notes. In Matthew chapter six, right around verse seven, he says this. he says that, those, that people who don't know God, and, and I, I certainly believe that the guy who was praying here did know God, but here's what he says. The people who don't know God, he uses the same phrase, they use vain repetition. They use vain repetition because they think that they'll be heard because of their many words. And you know what Jesus says in the next verse? He says, instead when you want to pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. You see that. I mean, I want you to think about that prayer. Many of us have probably prayed that in the past, but just there's like this beautiful simplicity to, to the Lord's prayer. It's not showy. It's not trying to like, in, you know, like quote 500 Bible verses so that people think that you're like the Bible champion of 1972. Um, there, there's there's none of that. It's just like this simple. Uh, Beauty of this prayer, simply saying, "God, all I want to do is connect with you, and I want through this prayer I want you to change my life," um, and it expresses our heart to God without trying to show off. And uh, and I'm telling you, this is the thing that happens in uh, in Christian circles, that because um, you know Christians have their own language. Are you aware of this? Uh, it's called Christianese, and if you're unaware. Uh, you may want to turn on Christian television, and once again, I say Christian television in quotations because whether it's Christian or not is still yet to be determined. Um, but you, but you look at it, for, just check it out for like five minutes. I would encourage you to leave your wallet in the other room because they're probably going to ask you to use it. Um, but uh, you check it out for a few minutes, and here's what'll happen: is that they'll start throwing around terms like in normal conversation, and, and you know, and the, it's just like the oddest thing. Once again, once, when I was in college, because you get in a theology degree, there's like all kinds of odd people that come out of the woodwork. Um, and to get the same degree, so you meet kind of some odd birds. And uh, but I remember one time I walked in and I saw a guy and I'm like, hey man, how you doing? And the, this is the guy says to me, he goes, man, I'm too blessed to be stressed. Oh, I'm filled with the Spirit. I'm washing the blood. I'm sanctified by the Ghost, and I'm a conqueror in Christ. How are you? <laughs> I'm all right. Thanks for asking. I mean, it's like. The, you know, and I'm thinking like, and this is, the thing, I mean, I'm like, I don't know, 22 years old at the time. And I'm thinking to myself, I really hope he doesn't talk to his neighbor that way. Because his neighbor is not going to have any idea. You know, his neighbor is going to think like, man, they need to get him a white jacket with long sleeves to take him away. Uh, because this is just not, this doesn't seem right. But listen, sometimes what will happen is we will take God's name in vain and we'll just kind of throw God's name around. And all we're doing really is just trying to show off, quote unquote, how spiritual we are. When really it has nothing to do with God at all. Here's a phrase that we use as Christians sometimes. And, oh, this has got to be my favorite one that people use. A three-word. This is a three-word phrase. They say this. They say, God told me. Oh, oh, here we go. Uh, and so this, is the th- this is the thing. They'll do this. And what I find fascinating is about when people use the phrase, oh, you know, well, God told me to do that. It's usually like, I mean, I'm telling you, like, I've talked to people and they're like, God told me to eat at Subway for lunch and order the meatball. All right fine with me. Yeah, God told me and then he told me to get gas at this gas station. This one. Well, you know, the Christian life is a marathon, so you may as well go to that gas station. Uh, and so and so, you know, and it's like you get this, this whole thing and everything is about like, well, you know, God told me to do that. And what I find so interesting is that so many times like Christians that, that will use the terms God told me and will do it as a as a way to get out of doing what it is that we're supposed to do. I mean, uh, it, it's incredible to me what happens is that people have responsibilities and then they'll flake out on their responsibilities and say, well, you've got to understand, God told me. Well, are you sure? Um, like, uh, uh, Pastor Mark told me this story a couple years ago. It, I can't tell you the whole story. And if I told you the whole story, it would take me like an hour. But it is so hilarious. Um, but I'm going to condense it down to about 45 seconds. Um, which is still pretty funny. But anyway, so the, Pastor Mark uh, gets a phone call from this guy who serves uh, in, our, in, in our youth ministry. This is a couple of years ago. And um, the guy calls him, and he's like, uh, hey, Pastor Mark, I'm not going to be able to make it tonight. And Mark's like, oh, okay, are you all right? Everything okay? He's like, yeah, listen, uh, God told me not to come to youth tonight, but instead to stay home and pray. And he's like, Really? Wow, are you sure everything is okay? Everything's all right with your family and your mom? Is she all right? Your, your dad? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, he told me I need to stay home and pray because uh, I've got to get in the right spirit. And, you know, starts throwing around all the terms. And, and, um, and so he starts doing all this, and he says, uh, okay, so you, you're just, and he says, all right, so you, you're going to just pray all night. And he says, no, 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 I, I mean, actually, I already prayed. And he says, so what are you going to do now? He says, I don't know. I was thinking about maybe watching some TV. And, um, I mean, I, you think I'm making this up. I'm, these stories are just too good to make up. Like, I just couldn't. And, um, and he's like, and so Mark says to him, and he goes, Let me, he says, listen, can I just repeat back to you what you just said to me? And he's like, yeah, sure. And by the way, when people talk, like, really spiritual, they talk low. Because that's like, the, that's, the, that's the deep stuff. God told me, he told me to talk low. So people would know. That God really told me anyway. So he says to me, he says, Hey, can I just, uh, can I repeat back to you what you just said to me? And he says, yeah, go ahead. I mean, it sounds like, <laughs> guy sounds like Batman, you know? And he says, uh, and he says, and he says, so God, let me see if I get this right. God told you to not come to a place where you're going to hear his word, where you're going to worship him. where you are going to be able to serve him invest in the lives of of young people who are making the most important decisions of their life so that you can stay home and watch American Idol? Did I get that correct? Is that what, what God told you to do? And then um, he says, and Pastor Mark says, he says, listen, man, you know, I love you, I care about you, but um, you're not telling me the truth. And he says, you know, the truth is you're just lazy. And um, so what are you going to do? And uh, there's like silence for a few seconds. And he goes, I'll be there in 30 minutes, you know, <laughs> and, and with, you know, because here's, here's the deal. It's like, you know, I'm lazy and I don't want to take a shower. Doesn't sound like a good excuse to, to like get up, to not go. But if you say like, you know, it's just like God told me that's there's that one or there's I smell and I don't want to do anything about it. Like, that's just not a good reason. You know, that doesn't sound like as good of a reason. But if we blame God, then somehow that sounds like a better reason. And, and, and listen, that's why I listen. We need to be very careful when we start saying, hey, you know, well, God told me to do this, or God told me to do that, and God told me to do this, or God said this, and then God said this, we need to be very careful. I'm telling i, I I've had people come up to me and, and tell me, like, uh, you know, God told me to, to leave my wife. And, and, and I'll say, like, well, what happened? Why, why is that? I'm just, I'm not feeling it anymore. So I prayed, and God said, yeah, just go ahead and leave. I'm like... You may want to pray about that one a little bit more because that sounds more like the pepperoni you ate last night than it does God. Because God, the Bible, it says something like a little bit different than what you're thinking. And, uh, and I'm telling you, people will come up and. and anyway, um, the thing is this we have to be careful when we say that, oh, God told me. God told us. Because um, if we say that God told us and he didn't, guess what? We're taking God's name in vain. And guess what the Bible says? Look at that verse one more time. Look at what he says. He says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes the name takes his name in vain. The people Jesus mentioned. The people Jesus mentioned, they say Lord, Lord. They don't just say Lord. They don't just say say, teacher, but they say Lord, Lord, which might not mean a lot to us. But in a Jewish culture, repetition is how you added emphasis and emotion. Um, you know, for us, we'll maybe raise our voice a little bit to express emotion or emphasis. Uh, if you're typing something, you might put an exclamation point. You might underline it. You might put it in all caps so people really know that you're serious. But in a Jewish culture, when you would speak, you would say it and you would, you would repeat so that people would know that you're speaking from a place of emphasis and a place of emotion. When King David's son Absalom died in battle, It's in your notes. Here's what David says. He says, Oh, my son Absalom. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. When Solomon, David's son, is the king of Israel and he's going through his life and he's in this crisis and he's like, what in the world does life even mean? He opens the book of Ecclesiastes and he says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It's just this place of emphasis. When Jesus is talking to his friend Martha, who's not really getting the most important thing. She's running around and she doesn't realize the most important thing that should be happening right now. What does he say to her? He says, Martha, Martha, you are worried about a great many things, but only one thing is needed. Right? When Jan's upset with her older sister, she says, Marcia, Marcia, Marcia. Right? That's not in the Bible, but it still makes the point. And... um... (laughs) It's important to bring up a Brady Bunch reference every once in a while, um, but here's the thing. But here's what happens. This is what's. This is what's so important. Um, what should grab us is that these people don't just use the casual, Lord, but they say Lord, Lord. Listen, they were in, not only good. They, not only did they have good theology, they were emotional. They were enthusiastic. They were also involved in ministry. Look at what it says in verse 21. He says, many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And here's what Jesus says. I don't know you. I mean, I don't know about you, but that like freaks me out. Like, how can a person actually be involved, like casting out a demon and not actually know God? How can a person be prophesying, speaking forth truth and the person not really know God? And here's what he says. It's like, listen. What, th- these people, they were just taking my name in vain, but they didn't really know me. There was no relationship there. And so here's the question. You say, Bob, you've been railing for about 30 minutes. Can you tell us, like, on a positive note, what is, so if that's what it means to use God's name in vain, what does it mean to use God's name rightly and correctly? And how should we? Last verse on your outline. It says this in Acts chapter 11. It says then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Now I want you to—I want to share something with you that's really important. Um, the name Christian literally means this; it means little Christ. And um, what's interesting to me is that it was actually created or said at first as an insult. The people of Antioch who hated Jesus, who who rejected the gospel, they looked at the followers of Jesus and they said, look at all these little mini-me Jesuses running around. And they said it as an insult and here's what the believers did, the, the first Christians. They said, you know what, we like that. The people who hate us think that we look just like the one that we claim to follow. And you see, my friends, right there is where we understand how to use God's name correctly. That the things that we say and we do reflect the one that we follow. And here's where that begins. That begins not by the stuff that we know or the stuff that we do. It begins by the relationship that we have You see, when a person invites Jesus Christ to come into their life, to forgive them of all their sins, because Jesus died on a cross, because Jesus was buried, because Jesus rose again from the dead, because we have missed the mark, because God's standard is perfection and we missed it. And so what God says, instead of saying, hey, figure it out yourself, here's what he does. He says this. He says, not only um, am I not going to leave you there, but I myself am going to become the solution. Because here's the deal, friends. It's knowing stuff about God doesn't save you. And also doing good things, doing good deeds doesn't save you. Listen, it's when we put our faith and our hope and our trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross because we know that we are hopeless and we are hopelessly lost without Him. Listen, that's what saves us. And you know what's amazing? Is that all this other stuff, the stuff that we know about God and the stuff that we do for God, all that stuff follows an authentic and real relationship. But that by itself can never replace an authentic and real relationship. And that's why Jesus invites us into a relationship with Him that's not just based on the stuff that you do and the things that you know, but it's based on work that He's done and invites us into a relationship with Him that begins now, and lasts through eternity. Let's pray together. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your love, and we thank you for the fact that when God has people who have fallen, people who have sinned, that you didn't leave us to just figure it out. Instead, you yourself became the solution. And so God, while many of us may know things about you, some of us may have even um, done good things, but God, we recognize that that doesn't replace having a real relationship with You. And so, Lord, we pray, do a work in us. For those that are here that have never invited You to come into their lives to forgive them of sins, God, is they in their, the quietness of their own heart, as they call out to You and just say, God, please forgive me. I'm a sinner. I need You to save me. God, because of that, because of your love and grace, we pray that you would hear and that you would respond. We thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.